Welcome to the Business of You podcast. I'm your host, Rachel Gogos. This podcast is dedicated to helping you uncover how to turn your big idea into big business and grow your personal brand into the business of your dreams. Each week, I'll talk to founders of all kinds of businesses, exploring how they launched and grew their companies. Behind every successful business is an epic journey, one that can serve as a roadmap to help you grow yours. The Business of You is all about frank conversations and unique business wisdom for the entrepreneur. It's a chance to tune into the story behind the brand and retrace the path of those who walked this road before you so you can pave your own road to success. Welcome to The Business of You. Personal branding powerhouse Lita Citroen is my guest today on The Business of You. She's an award-winning branding and reputation management authority who works with executives, entrepreneurs, and thought leaders around the globe. She's the CEO and founder of Lita360, her consulting company. She is sought after for her knowledge of personal brand development, reputation management, leadership communication, and how to pivot in your career. I hope you enjoyed today's episode of The Business of You, and make sure you turn into Lita's popular TEDx talk as well. Hello, Lita Citroen. Welcome to The Business of You. How are you today? I'm wonderful. Thank you for having me. It's so nice to see you this morning. Um, Lita, it would be great to hear your story of how you launched your business. I heard a little bit about it um, before when we were chatting, but it's super fascinating. So if you can start out by sharing what you do today and how you got there. Sure. So I'm, I'm like many professionals, right? I had a career before this career. And the career I had before was about 20 years working in corporate branding, corporate marketing, public relations, business development, all that side of the house. Um, rose to being an executive in the ranks. And then 2008 happened. And I found myself laid off and looking for something next. It was really in that moment that it occurred to me that I could get another job, but what if I took some time to figure out what I really wanted to do? And a conversation with a friend who was also an executive looking for an opportunity led to her saying something that really changed everything for me. She said, I know you know how to build the brands of companies, but what you're actually really good at is helping to build the brands of people. And in 2008, there just wasn't a lot of conversation around this word, the the phrase personal branding, but it intrigued me enough that I started leaning in and building processes and systems and methodology to help people build a brand for themselves, similar to how I had helped companies or products build brands. And it worked. I mean, think about where the market was in 2008, where people were desperately trying to keep their job or find a job, which meant they were trying to sell their value proposition and make themselves more relevant and compelling in complex markets when everything around the world felt like it was free falling. So the idea that I that I moved forward with was perfectly timed with where the, the markets were and everything took off. Um, as I was sharing with you, a lot of my clients started coming from overseas, from Australia and even Asia or the Middle East or Europe, Canada. 
And it wasn't just something we were thinking about in the U.S. And that actually was a was a fabulous addition to what I had thought I would focus on. And so for 14 years now, I have built this business in personal branding, reputation management. I'm a speaker, an author, um, and a consultant, a coach, getting to play in the space that I enjoy the most every day. What a great way to live, right? Exactly. Why not? (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Can you share some of the details of actually going from corporate America to launching a business? And if you can get real granular and like, what did you do first? Did you get a certification? Did you come up with a business name? Did you build a website? Because I think so many people get stuck and like, what do I do? And you already had so much substance, right? Having worked with corporate brands. So how did you shift that? How did you market yourself? Well, I knew a lot about branding. I knew a lot about reputation and a lot about marketing. What I didn't know is how to start a business because I'd never done that before. And honestly, I had never wanted to be an entrepreneur. So I'm, I'm very much that accidental entrepreneur that, that you hear about. Um, but when I announced that I was going to do my own thing, so many people in my network responded with something that was shocking. They said, I've been telling you to do that for years. I never heard it. I wasn't ready. I wasn't, I wasn't open to that idea until I was. But I knew that I didn't know how to start a company. So I did informational interviews, which is a big thing that I teach, whether you're making a career shift, you're becoming an entrepreneur, informational interviews are invaluable. And I literally set out messages that said, anyone who has ever started a company, can I spend 15 minutes with you? I didn't care if it was a Mary Kay business, a dry cleaners, a a CPA firm. It didn't matter what kind of company. I just wanted to talk to people who had done the start startup um, mindset and, and logistics. And I asked in each one of those conversations, three questions. Other things would come up, but I made sure that three questions were always asked. First, what is one thing you did when you started your company that you're really glad you did? Second, what is one thing you wish you hadn't done or a mistake or an obstacle you didn't anticipate? And then third, I would at some point tell them a little bit about what I was thinking of building and ask for their advice or guidance. And what I got at the end of doing like 30 of these was data. And I would throw out the extremes, right? The person who said, you're crazy to start your own business. Okay, we'll put that one on a shelf. Um, And I would look at what I saw as patterns. And I, I think I have a natural ability to look at patterns. It's very important in my work, but it really helped me then because I could see patterns of advice, patterns of risk, patterns of opportunity. And that's what helped me move forward. I mean, just things as simple as, I didn't know you're supposed to set up a separate checking account for your company. Good thing to know. Register a business name with the Secretary of State. Create some basic marketing materials. Don't go too granular because you don't know what it's going to look like. And that's where I started moving forward. And it was literally one step in front of the other. Um, I, I got some great advice not to write a business plan, which... You know, in in corporate, you always write a business plan. You you forecast against a budget and you have metrics and objectives. And they were telling me, don't write a business plan. Not yet. 
because this thing wasn't fully fleshed out. And they said, if you write a business plan, you will map your business to that. Let it be a little organic at the beginning. And I think it was probably two to three years in before I actually wrote some form of a business plan. And that was mostly because I was starting to hire at that point. But that piece of advice mashed up with all the others is what gave me the marching orders. And a lot of it was hearing somebody say something and taking that in. Uh, Pricing was really tricky for me because I would try and do a salary comparison or a comparison with other executive coaches, but I wasn't a traditional executive coach. And I, I, I was a speaker, but I wasn't as established as some of the other speakers who had published their rates. So pricing was really tricky. And I would put a number out there and somebody would either respond with, huh, or, huh, okay, that makes sense. Um, and, and I remember sitting on stage very early in my new business. Um, I was on stage at a corporate growth conference. Probably a lot of entrepreneurs that listen to your podcast were there. and. I had a wonderful conversation with a venture capitalist who he and I were on presenting together. And afterwards he said, I want to take you to lunch. And he took me to lunch and he said two things. He said, first, what do you charge? And I told him, and he said, great, I want to hire you at that rate. The second thing I want to tell you is don't you ever charge that little again. And I remember to this day, we, we, we laugh about it because he said, you can't only charge that. But I had, no, I had no perspective on what to charge. And so he encouraged me to ratchet my rates up. And doing that periodically over the years has really also helped me focus in on who my clients were. Because I think at the beginning, you know, we're trying to figure out what the space is. And so we, we try everything. And I, I worked with clients I probably shouldn't have. And I didn't charge them as much as I should have, but I learned from it. And I never did the same thing again. So becoming an accidental entrepreneur, um, I wish I could say I read the books and I took the courses. I didn't. I, I just kind of felt my way through it. Um, I didn't get any kind of certification. I also don't have a degree in marketing, which is really interesting. And I get asked that when I speak at colleges. They're like, what's your degree in? Not marketing, uh, political science with a minor in English. But I I'm, I have enough you know, runway behind me doing this um, that it hasn't been an issue. I've never been asked by a client or a prospective client if I have a certification. I've never been asked. So... For what I do, it has not been um, it has not been necessary. Of course, I considered things like that, but I always considered them if they were going to help me go exponentially forward, not just a little bit forward. Right. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, to your point about pricing, I think it is you know part art, part science. Right. It's so tricky and a big challenge for so many, so many people, even established entrepreneurs. Right. Like, when do you know? when to raise your rate and do you price hourly versus project? And it's just a slippery slope. It is. But I think if you really understand your customer, if you really understand what drives them, what motivates them, where they're going to see value in the problems you solve, right? That's all I do is I help people solve problems, but sometimes they don't know it's a problem and sometimes they don't know what to call the problem. So let's face it. I know people don't wake up in the morning and say, I'm going to focus on my personal brand. You know, It's not language they use, but they might say, 
my investors don't fully support me. My, you know, my peers don't know how to refer me. I'm getting missed on promotions and opportunities. Well, those are reputation issues. Those are personal branding issues. Those are the problems I help people solve. I just use this other language to differentiate myself from a more traditional executive coach. Right, right. How, how do you market yourself today? Is it word of mouth mostly? I mean, now it's been 14 years, so you've yeah. got, a, you know, a lot of tentacles out there, right? It's all word of mouth. Um, I'm also really having fun on social media. So LinkedIn is my primary social media channel. I'm, a, I'm what's called an instructor on LinkedIn learning. So I have eight courses in the LinkedIn learning library, <clears throat> and those courses definitely generate interest. I have like 21,000 followers at this point on LinkedIn. So there's a lot of that. People share my content. People hear of me. Probably most of my online referrals come through LinkedIn. I dabble on Instagram and Facebook because they're fun. I have more fun than anything. And my YouTube channel gets a lot of traction. I speak at large conferences, at corporate events. Um, that's great for word of mouth. Somebody mentions to their executive or mentions to an entrepreneur that they know, hey, I heard this woman speak about the topic you say you're struggling with. Here's somebody you should probably talk to. And then finally, my books. My books really generate Control the Narrative, which came out in May of 2021. That was the book I'd wanted to write for many years because it is all their stories right? It's all stories of entrepreneurs and executives and thought leaders around the world that I've worked with. And so that is a huge, um, huge generator. And I think, you know, probably like you do, we look at those, those pathways to word of mouth, right? So years ago, I, I identified that venture capitalists, um, portfolio managers, you know, the wealth managers, these were people who had the eyes and ears of a lot of the clients that I wanted to work with. Uh, lawyers who deal in reputation risk and reputation repair on a legal side are talking to the clients who eventually contact me. So if I do any marketing more intentionally, it's to those pockets. It's to build relationships with them and partnerships. Yeah, mm -hmm. because they're going to have a client who says, I messed up. I need help. Who do I talk to? And instead of a traditional PR solution or an SEO algorithm manipulator, which some of those companies are, they know that they can call me and I'm going to help that person repair their career, not just um, the search results on Google. Yeah. You shared something with me um, pre-interview. You said personal branding is what you do and reputation management is something you earn. Reputation is something you earn. Yeah. Something you earn. Can you just take a deeper dive into that and dissect that a little bit more? I thought it was such a succinct way to, to share that. Well, and, and look, I'm guilty of it too, right? I use the terms reputation and personal brand interchangeably. And that's, that's my, my, my bad because they are different. Everyone has a brand by design or by default. And that's a quote that I'm pretty well known by because you, you're known for certain things, how you have been living your life and showing up and informing relationships and creating narrative, all of that action and communication and those relationships that you've been doing all these years, whoever you are, has formed some type of a reputation in the minds of the people who interact with you. 
What I like to do is help people take control of that, to design it strategically and intentionally, always authentically. And then they're earning a reputation that is more meaningful, is more specific, is more aligned with the legacy that they want, because that's really what it's all about. If people don't see me and perceive me the way that I want, I'm going to miss opportunities that are perfect for me. And I could find myself in challenges that I had no business being in because I wasn't focused on how I wanted to show up in the world. The the people I deal with are really concerned about that. And they get the idea that perception is a reality. It may not be your reality, but it is a reality to the people who feel and believe the things that they do. One of the things that I that I did in this book is I talked about the neuroscience of perception and judgment and, and trust and all of these things that we sometimes judgment, we're not supposed to talk about, right? Biases and, and things that are uncomfortable for us to address, but we know they're real. We have to know that, that somebody's perception of us is going to drive their desire to want to partner with us, work with us, invest in us, and see us succeed or not. So that perception that they hold, granted, it might be based on misinformation. It could be a false perception, but that perception is their brain's way of making decisions about who we are and what we can offer. And if we don't know what that perception is, then we could blindly walk into situations and make mistakes. So that's why... That's why reputation is the bigger category. Brand is the action. Right. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, the, the biggest buzzword the last couple of years, I think, has been authenticity, right? Be more authentic, be more authentic. So when you're managing somebody's reputation and their perception of a damaged reputation, how do you help them bridge between where they are, how they're perceived, and being authentic? Because there's a little part of me that wonders that um, when a perception of us is out there and we want to fix that, is it authentic, right? Or like, was there something that had just gone awry and the reputation was muddied and we have to help somebody now be perceived in their authentic way, right? Like, was it a mistake or is it authentic? Well, I think mistakes can be authentic, right? Um, I could say something I think is funny, but it's inappropriate or it's offensive, but I thought it was funny. So I, I I didn't mean to hurt somebody's feelings or, you know, target a disenfranchised group of people, but still what I said came out of my mouth. So I think when we look at the word authenticity, which yes, it's huge in conversation. um, It is a truth that that person expresses. So if we take it all the way to like cancel culture, which is a really big topic right now, it's not inauthentic that the person said what they said. It's should they have said it, right? Um, Is it inauthentic to not say it if you think it? I don't think it's inauthentic. I think it's smart, right? Just because I think something's funny or, you know, could be controversial or provocative and I want to get attention If I say something that's inappropriate or offensive, I'm crossing a line. And so I think that the trick with authenticity, I think, is that sometimes we mix it up with transparency. And I don't see them as the same thing. Transparency is saying everything, 
right? Authenticity is what I say is the truth. And they're not the same thing because I do think as business leaders, as thought leaders, we're allowed to keep some things private. We're allowed to not jump into conversations and not add our opinion because sometimes that opinion isn't maybe fully fleshed out, but we're allowed to reserve some things as private and still be authentic because the authenticity piece means when you ask me a question and I give you an answer, it's going to be my truth. It's going to be genuine. I'm I'm not going to spin it. I'm not going to do, you know, I'm not going to give you the party line and that's how I stay authentic. Right. But I don't have to tell you everything. And 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 social media really muddied those waters. Um, we saw that a lot during the pandemic is people tried to share how they were feeling. They were sharing their grief and their struggles, not realizing they don't get to put that genie back in the bottle when everything goes back to normal. So all of that truth that they shared over and over and over and over is still out there now. And that's where, you know, people form perception going, huh, is that really what that person thinks? Because I'm seeing a lot of context around a conversation that's unpleasant versus what I thought was true about that person. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Have you ever not taken on a client, a potential client, because the reputation they had a repair was just not aligned with your own values? Or oh, what they had done with that. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. I mean, I, I don't try to play judge and jury, um, but I look for certain qualities, right? If, if, if I'm getting into a reputation repair situation with a client, we're going to get to know each other very, very well because there has to be accountability. There has to be a genuine desire to move forward in, a, in an authentic way, right? Not transparent, but an authentic way. And if I don't sense that, if I don't hear that, if all they're doing is passing the blame and it wasn't my fault and, you know, I had nothing to do with it, or if what they did is just so outrageous to, to my filters, I'm going to have a lot of conversations about that. And I get to decide if I don't want to participate in that. Um, and, and that's where it gets a little sticky. I will say I have worked with clients who did things I don't approve of if I were to be judgmental, right? But they really want, they know they made a mistake. They want to move forward. They want a second chance. And who am I to say they don't deserve a second chance? So that those are some of the ingredients that I listen for. Um or if they're not willing to do the work. The work is not easy. It is not just about manipulating Google. That is not how you get your name back. Um, The work is really hard for both of us. And so I'm looking for someone that will partner with me to get that done, to help them, and not just expect that I'm going to wave a magic wand and suddenly they're credible again. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. The fairy dust doesn't work like that, right? Not in that way. No, no <laughs> amount of money can create that fairy dust. Um, but, you know, and the other thing, too, is keep in mind, reputation repair isn't just if somebody has done something wrong. Um, I remember the first client I worked with who was a victim of workplace bullying. And honestly, I never thought that that happened. I knew I had had incidences of that, but it never affected my reputation. When I worked with this person who ended up being, I mean, he was a man, it really surprised me. I thought we left that stuff in high school, right? 
But then I started writing some articles about it. And I did a couple podcasts about workplace mobbing and workplace bullying and how it can just trash somebody's reputation. And I got overwhelmed with emails and letters from people saying it had happened to them too. And they didn't know it was a thing and they didn't know what to do about it. Um, it, it's real. So when we think of reputation repair, it's not just because something somebody does something wrong. Sometimes it can be you're in the wrong place at the wrong time, as in a whistleblower situation, or you just get caught up and you don't know how to defend yourself. And after a while, now you realize you should have defended yourself and stood up and said, this is wrong, but it's too late and your um, your reputation is harmed. Right, right. Can you share just maybe one or two tactics that you um, often find yourself using with clients that need their reputation repaired? Sure. And, and I think the first one is to separate emotion from fact. And that is really hard to do when you're the person getting accused, being drugged through you know the mud online, um, being targeted. It's really hard to not see that as emotional. But one of the first things I do with a client is to say, let's separate what happened versus how we feel about what happened or how we feel about the people, right? Um, and then even we got to talk about who the people are. Um, but that um, separating that emotion can then help us decide what are the short-term and long-term implications. Was this rumor and gossip that obviously upsets you? But has it really damaged your career in the way that you believe it has? You know, so what are the long term implications here? Um, And then the third, I would say, is deciding who the audience is. Um, I, I had a conversation with a prospective client recently, and I just remember her saying, I want people to know that I, I wasn't the person that the, the media made me out to be. I said, who are the people? And she goes, people who are going to read that. I said, but who are these people that you care so much about? If it's, you know, uh, trolls sitting in their parents' basement in the middle of nowhere, is that the person we're trying to change their perception of you? Or is it your investors, your shareholders, your, your business partners, your staff? Because there's a very big difference in strategy if we're trying to get everyone in the world right? Regardless of where they are and what emotional filters and knowledge they have about the situation versus the people who you directly have influence with. And so separating out the audience really clearly helps drive the strategy. And it helps my clients understand that that they have control over part of it. They don't have control over actually the piece that doesn't matter as much. Um, And then I I say most of what we focus on as the next step is narrative. How are you going to talk about what happened? How are you going to, you know, share your side of what happened? Because the first thing they want to do is they want to tell you everything about what happened. And that's not necessary. So shaping narrative, looking at opportunities online and in person to build those bridges and consider all options. You know, we do look at every option uh, going forward. And then I work collaboratively with my clients to decide the best course of action. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. That's interesting. Let's switch gears a little bit and talk about your personal brand. How do you think your team would describe your personal brand attributes? Oh, my team? Um, <laughs> that I'm, dri- I'm definitely very driven. 
um, that I'm very empathetic. And that was a word that kind of snuck up on me over the last five years. I would never have described myself as empathetic, but in some surveying we did with clients and with my team, that word kept popping up. And and I love it now, but I never understood it when it first showed up. Um, so definitely driven, empathetic. I'm a big picture person. So I try to empower them to create the tools that are going to make that big picture happen. Um, and I try to keep my hands out of that for a little bit. Um, and then I, I truly live the values that I promote. I, I Gratitude and generosity are what anchor me. It's the title of my TED Talk. It's how I approach every decision. And I am that person who shares a lot of gratitude. And I tell my team, I appreciate their help. I appreciate them working hard. I appreciate their commitment. And I'm generous with the information that I share. I try to say yes much more than I say no. So I think I would hope that's how they would describe it. It's what they've shared. Um, and and I ask them. I do ask them. It's important. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. No, I agree. I mean, not having started a business before, it sounds like you've become an incredible CEO and leader. So, well, and, and that one kind of took me by surprise. Yeah. And which is funny, too, because as a business owner, I gave myself that title. I had been principal of my company because I thought that sounded smart. Right. And then one, one year I messaged my accountant and I said, is there any reason I couldn't be a CEO? Like from a tax standpoint or from a structure standpoint, she's like, no, you could be a CEO. So I gave myself a promotion and I was now the CEO. <laughs> I mean, that's, that's how much value there is in titles, right? Well, there, but it is how we perceive ourselves, I think. Right. And that's where the value comes in. And it does say something to to others about us as well. Right. You know, it looks, yeah, it's interesting printed in the conference program. That's for sure. Yeah. And in a bigger <laughs> organization, I'm, it, of course it has different value, but in my company, yes. I mean, I'm, you know, I'm chief happiness officer. I'm chief widget maker, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Totally get that. Totally. Well, 14 years and counting. So what's in the future for your business and the, and then say like next two to three years, well, as you know, we, we talked about this um, offline. I do a lot of work with the military and that's a passion of mine. I, I'm a proud American who is the daughter of two you know, European immigrants. And, and I am grateful for the service of the men and women who've, who've ensured my freedom. I want to continue to grow that. Um, I've written three books on the military. So I think I'm kind of done with books there for a while. Um, but I want to continue to grow that. I want to look for more impactful ways of serving them. Um, so that, and that's my philanthropy. That's, that fills my heart in terms of the clients. I'm, I'm seeming to attract more, um, high profile cases, more interesting and complex clients. And that really excites me. I love digging in and learning from the clients I work with. And, and I, I look for that as an ingredient. If I can learn from them, then I'm growing. Um, yeah. And, I, you know, I've just published my fifth book. I, I've got my, actually, my sixth is coming out because I've rewritten the very first book that I wrote. Um, so I don't, I think I might take a pause from writing for a little bit, but I'm always open. I try not to plan too aggressively because that advice I was given at the beginning of my business, right? Don't plan too hard because you'll, I, I kind of live by that, but I'm looking for bigger and more significant opportunities to share this message. That gives me the voice to help more people. And that's, that's mm -hmm. really meaningful to me and my legacy. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's amazing. So Lita, where can people find out more about you, potentially learn how to work with you? Well, certainly LinkedIn. I'm very active on LinkedIn. And then my website is lita360.com. Okay. And it's the numbers 360, right? Exactly. And it's Mm L-I-D-A. Great. Well, so nice to have you today. Looking forward to reading your book and um, hearing some of those stories of people you helped in there. Thank you so much. And thanks for the time today. This has been a lot of fun. I hope you enjoyed this episode of The Business of You. If you found a little dose of inspiration or learned something new, please leave a review and share it with a friend or even two. Interested in building your brand and business? Tune in next time to The Business of You podcast. And remember, there's only one you. You're the biggest differentiator your business has. Until next time, friends.